Jewish Dave. And this is Bird Road. This is Bird Road. Coming to you live from just outside the uh, the danger zone of Hurricane Elsa, risking life and limb podcasting through the hell of, you know, uh, p- potential calamity and, um, you know, just a few hundred miles away from a raging storm, Dave. How does, how does that make you feel about my commitment to being with you every week? Yeah, you, you, you do this no matter what, even if we, uh, even if we don't always want to (laughs) um dave where can people find us up top at bird road podcast and of course birdroadpodcast.com and all of the major podcast apps so uh, we're not going to be diving back into the surfside tragedy again it's just it's too fucking much um it's soul sapping uh i talked about surfside for about an hour on the woke bros podcast with big woes and nando villa if you want to go look that up um and just depress the shit out of yourself. Have fun. That was dude. good. I listened to it, and it did oh, depress me very yeah. much. So you you accomplished that. Yeah, the, I mean, like some people are listening, uh, or have listened or heard us talk about it over the last few weeks. So right now, the death toll is officially just turned ticked up to twenty eight. But I mean, like if you're down here in Miami, I'm telling you, don't don't watch that because just know that it's it's just only going to go one direction. It's not worth watching it and doing that to yourself. Um, more buildings are being evacuated in North Miami Beach and throughout that area. The remaining portion of the Champlain Towers was demolished yesterday. Uh, fucking brutally horrifying, but there were still pets in the building that they could not take out. And um, so fucking in the Gulf of Mexico, there's like a pipeline accident that looks like the jaws of hell opening up. Um, Pacific Northwest is baking. So people's streets are buckling upwards. Dave, how's your week going? Yeah, much better uh, over here. We're we're dealing with rising. There's fucking clouds numbers. shooting fire. There's clouds <laughs> shooting fucking fire, Dave. The, I didn't even know that there were fire clouds. I thought that was some like Mario Brothers shit. Yeah, yeah. No, everything is great as it is always. Every week, every week, there's something great to to announce on this show. That's actually very apt and a great segue um, into introducing our guests for the week. I know you've heard the complaints, Dave. I know you've heard people saying. Uh, we aren't diverse enough in our roster of guests. We we lack um, a certain you know diversity factor. So as an answer to that criticism, we've booked an Italian this week, and that we're answering uh, those calls for diversity in our show. We are very progressive. We really hope that our fellow podcasters will start allowing po- Italians on the air more often. Um, we know the archetype, Dave. Leftist podcasters. What are we? We're overweight. We're frumpy. We're unhappy. We're bitter. Uh, we're, we're arguing over which sect of podcasters we support and which ones we hate. Our sure. day job is something worthless, like working at their dad's record store or mm-hmm. communications, whatever the fuck that sure. is. Um, but our next guest is none of these things. While she is a host of the wildly popular The Worst Week Yet podcast, she has a day job that actually matters and makes a difference in the lives of people. And it's the reason that we, uh, one of the many reasons that we asked her to join us today. She's one of my favorite follows on Twitter, at Sandinista, and her name is Maria Guido. Maria, welcome to Bird Road. Hi, guys. I'm so excited, one, to be the first Italian. <laughs> well, I mean, because, you know... You Out know of the closet Italians. We might have had some Italians that, like, you know, were, were uh, on the down low, but we don't know that for sure. We can't know for sure. Sure. Well, it's hard to be on the down low as an Italian with a last name like Guido. Um, it's so funny because people, like, think... They thought when I first started, like, just going on podcasts and stuff, um, they were like, is that, like, your stage name or whatever? I was like, 
Yeah, it seems like a Jewish Dave, which is my name. Yeah. So, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, dude. I'm like, it's just like, that's literally like my last name. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's, it's like you, I'm sure that they were anticipating that there was a the in the middle, like Maria the Guido or something. <laughs> yeah. Maria the Guido. Like, yeah. yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Because I always say that like when I when people don't like know me at first, like I'll walk into like a bar or whatever. And there's like, a, you know, like there'll be like a group of my friends around like, Guido, Guido. And people will be like, you can't say that to her. Like, isn't that like offensive? And they're like, not dude. Like that's really her last Specifically name. not to her. It's not offensive, but yes. Otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you, it's cool. Like, so. Um, why don't you tell people about the podcast? Because I, I like listening to it. I try to tune in um, every, every, every few weeks, but like our podcast, it can be a little, a little soul crushing so um you know we have to kind of parcel it out a little bit but i i think people should be subscribing and listening to the worst week yet why'd you guys start that show like how, what was the origin story of that um so well before i go into the origin story i just want to say that i do love you guys and i forget what episode but you do depress me um <laughs> you do depress yeah. me uh we but, get that but yeah i mean because i listen i try to support everybody that you know what i mean like yeah. i follow that i'm mutuals with i just i like to do that but um but the origin story of Worst Week at, uh, it's funny because so Andrew um, and I, we grew up in the same city and we hung around the same circles, but we didn't really know each other. Um, but then around like the Bernie, uh, the second campaign, we, I noticed he was friends with our, our co-host Dan. Um, so Andrew and I came, became friends on Twitter and then he is a comedian and he asked me, he was like, hey, I'm going to start a podcast do you want to come on as like my first guest? And I was like, sure. So I came on and it was supposed to be just like random, right? Like it was, I was going to be like the sometimes co-host. Mm. And then I think we're at episode 35. You got promoted. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, um, it just kind of like went like that. And we really... Like we tell everybody, like we are the least informed podcast on the left. Like we're yeah, but you guys, you, you guys make up make up for it with the energy, man. You guys like bring a lot of energy, and it's engaging, and it's like uh, it's a little f between like the dynamic between the three of you. And I mean, like you guys had Luis Diaz the other day, which was the I think the most recent show still. Uh, this is going to go up on Tuesday. I don't know if you guys have another show coming before them, but like the the dynamic, you guys just bring people in and kind of fuck with them and have fun with them, and it's it's a it's a it's a good feel. Yeah, you guys are on our list. I have an entire list of people that yeah. I think like that I want people to be on because I think that they will do like, you know what I mean? Like they're yeah. able to like join with us and stuff like that. But I also mm. like that piece of bringing people in and getting other new listeners to yep. listen to them, you know, um, because I just um, I mean, before I did like social work, I was like a brand ambassador for my boys clothing store. So I did a lot of stuff like in the hip hop scene and all of that. So I've always loved to promote other people's stuff. Yeah. So I really feel like that's also another thing that we're able to do. So like, I really feel like, I mean, I'm just having fun with my friends, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's really cool because we're bringing in a bunch of these people. We're making new friends. You know what I mean? And we're just, we try to be chill. We try to be non-dramatic. We don't, you know. Engage in the, 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 like bitter i said bitter before but like yeah that it, there is like it's funny because like to be a podcaster on the left is like it, you almost feel as though people are laying down lines and and alliances and shit like that and it's like well do you support this or support that and it's like i i mean 
I don't know. I, I feel like the guy on The Simpsons holding up the sign that's like, uh, I hope that both teams have fun, you know? Like, like right, <laughs> that's how it right. feels sometimes. And, and I don't, like, as long as you haven't done anything completely horrific, um, and I want you on my podcast, I'm going to have you. I have been, you know, people have, like, I've had, like, a few people say to me before, well, I don't like this person because they said that there's something about Jimmy Dore. And I was like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I don't care, dude. Like, it's, this isn't, like, there's so much depressing shit in the world. Why put something like that in your, you know what I mean? Right. Like, why get mad about something like that? Like, if you don't like somebody, don't follow them. And no one will remember it anyway, like a few weeks later. So Yeah, yeah. like, it, there'll be another discourse, you know? I remember, this is, I'm outing myself a little bit. Dave, you're going to remember this, too. When I was, like, uh, senior year of college, my first, like, really, um, like, widely read published article that I ever wrote, I had zero... Under, like most 21 year olds, I had like ze- not a great handle on, I, I didn't have fully formed political opinions. I didn't even have a right. political opinion. So my political opinions were garbage. But a good friend of, of Dave, me and Dave's good friend um, had some bad molly and went on a killing spree and killed a cop. And uh, and he was, a, he was a rapper and um, he was a guy that we knew. And it was like a whole thing in our community and also in Las Vegas, it was a big deal. And then over the course of the next few months, Dave, you remember this, they canceled every hip-hop show. They canceled Snoop. Sure. They canceled. Remember, and the Eminem was coming to town, and back then it was like, Eminem is coming to town. And, and hip-hop um, in Vegas was done. Hip-hop in Vegas was fucking done, all because this guy happened to be a rapper and um, OD'd and, and lost his shit. And my first big, like, widely read article that I ever wrote was for the American Libertarian magazine, which <laughs> I had in my mind. I was like, yeah, Libertarian. <laughs> Liberty, liberty is good, right? And rights and stuff. And I, what I was writing is like, oh, there shouldn't be a moratorium on um on on the free speech that that is uh, emblematic of the art form of hip hop. And you know, I was right. I, I I laid down this whole, I guess, like libertarian argument about how that shouldn't be the case. And the, and now I look back and I'm like, damn, that was like my first, other than like the school paper and like local newspapers in Vegas, that was my first published piece. And I really <laughs> hope. Nobody ever fucking finds it. I don't even think it exists anywhere, Dave. You remember that magazine? It was published out of Vegas, of course. Oh, yeah. A libertarian yeah. magazine, of course, published out of yeah. Vegas. There's probably like 15 it, of them here. Yeah. But it's still cool. I mean, I still, you know, even though I'm not a libertarian at all, but <laughs> no. I still agree to that. Like, there should be no more. And I've seen that so many times with uh, rap, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Certain, certain uh, venues won't book this because, oh, it brings, you know, like weed smoke and blah, 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 blah. But you'll let Toby Keith or Keith or her whoever come to like Pittsburgh and literally trash it, yeah. trash the entire fucking city. Yep. They did it for four years in a row. Like, but don't bring rap rappers here. The don't drunk, here. The, dr- the the crowd of drunks that stumbles out of the NFR, the National Finals Rodeo in Vegas, is as destructive, maybe more destructive than I don't know. Than, than Philadelphia when they win a title. Like, it's it's like right. that level of destruction. And you're just like, oh, but this these guys get a pass. These guys are okay. Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, just let, if you're going to let people destroy shit, let us all destroy shit. Yeah. There you go. You know what I'm saying? So on the topic of kind of, before we jump into our main story, I, I, I got to say, like, I wasn't planning. I didn't put this on the outline, but you turned me on to, um, to and anybody who follows you saw that you, you were talking about, um, a, I, I don't really know enough about them. Maybe you could just talk about them. But I was listening to uh, the 58s just before I got on with you earlier today. 
And um, I, I texted you before we got on. I was like, this shit is fire. This is really, really good. It's, uh, I guess, West Pennsylvania underground hip hop. Um, mm-hmm. Not a lot of people know about it, but I understand that a major figure from the group uh, we lost over the over the weekend, I think, or earlier yes. last week, uh, yeah. named uh, Mayo. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. And people, if you're listening, go go listen. They're on Spotify. Yeah, um, the 58. So they've been uh, hip hop. They've been around since like 2010, 2011, and they were a really big part of my life around like 2011 to like 2014, 15. Um, and in the beginning, I helped them a lot, throw a couple hip hop shows at uh, the store that I was a brand ambassador at. So they were really big part of the store was called Blasphemy um, and they were a really big part of Blasphemy. They it was funny because like I remember like the first time I ever met them, somebody uh, said to me that they like. They described them as the Wu-Tang Clan of Western Pennsylvania yeah. because there was like seven <laughs> of them. Right. And um. They did. I mean, they they were like uh, Vinny and franchise of the 58s. Like they they went off and did a lot of their like stuff. Like they were touring with Wiz and Mac and Mac Miller and all of that. So like it was really cool to be around during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 58s were like very underground, you know, but they were they had this following in, in Western PA. Um, and it's kind of weird, you know, Mayo. Mayo and I had this really good relationship. Like he was always like known as like the wild man of the group, you know, and he just was loud and fun. And he just, you know, it seemed like, it seemed like he touched a lot of people's lives based on the outpouring of people that were on, you know, online and, and, and talking about, about it. Yeah. He was a, and I am very lucky that I had a relationship one-on-one with Mayo. Like I had, you know, he was deep. He was a really smart kid. Um, and I think one of the things that sticks out for me with the 58s is this, you know, they're from an area called McKeesport, which was a steel town in, in Pittsburgh. And in Pittsburgh, we went through our recession before anybody did in the United yeah. States, right? Like in the eighties, like we were fucked. I mean, because yeah. what the steel mills closed down in what the seventies. Yeah. Um, I mean, people committed suicide or like they right. completed suicide when the mills shut down. So, you know, it's like, he you know the 58s were from this area where it was like an old steel town that was just ignored desecrated so what were you gonna do yeah you know what i mean like you were gonna flip and then they you know they started rapping and um you know it's just it's a sad loss um i'm still trying to wrap my head around it we lost another kid uh that we were that were was around like that underground subculture whatever you want to call it in pittsburgh who was a graffiti writer danny devine um literally just three weeks ago so yeah. we're just like really yeah like lost and, and it sucks because you know i lost both my parents um and you know i i try to really like uh, look at it from a trauma perspective of grief is it's part of life and it sucks like yeah. but w- what are you gonna do are you gonna die are right. you gonna lose yourself or are you gonna live um and you know it's taken a lot to get to that point but yeah today just hurts yeah. that's why i said to you i was like are we on video do i have to brush my hair <laughs> do i have to be presentable no but yeah, it's, do I have to be presentable i think there's something to be said though about like um like the cumulative nature of grief where it's like you could lose a lot of big things or there could be a lot of tr- larger traumas in your life 
And then there can be that one thing where it's like a friend that you've just known for a while, something happens to them and that's the thing, you know, and that's yep. like, it's like, that's the, 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 the final straw, you know, the, that broke the camel's back, you know? And, um, I, you know, that kind of ties in a little bit with what, with what we want to talk about, uh, in our first topic, because when you talk about younger people talking, dealing with trauma and the way that they process it and the way that their, you know, sort of actions uh, are guided after, after dealing with loss and the lack of parental structure in their life. I, I, this is the reason we wanted to have you on. I'm going to um, stop talking about all this like soul crushingly depressing stuff, I suppose, and talk about a really fun, upbeat topic, which is the shortcomings of Florida's juvenile justice system and oh, yes. how it does real lifelong harm to kids who uh, run afoul of the law. Hooray, Dave. Can't wait. Let's do it. See, I mean, you guys just bring it. This is, listen. <laughs> it's like, okay, you guys bring it. Fuck turn, me. You, <laughs> you listen to Bird Road, you're turning in to get depressed, baby. <laughs> so, um, okay. This comes from FloridaPolitics.com. This is an article from last week, June 30th. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis has vetoed a bill that would have broadened youth's ability to expunge their arrest records. Uh, Florida currently allows minors to expunge first-time misdemeanors if they complete a diversion program. However, the the proposal, SB 274, carried by Gainesville Republican Senator Keith Perry and Winter Springs Republican Representative David Smith, would have expanded juvenile expunction laws to include felonies and other arrests beyond the first offense. However, DeSantis, a Republican governor, had reservations about the measure. That's despite the fact that the bill never had a single negative vote throughout the entire legislative process. Not just Democrats and Republicans, but all. Nobody gave it a negative vote. Juveniles who completed a diversion program could have omitted uh, or denied the expunction as well as their participation in that diversion program under the proposal. DeSantis had this to say um, in a memo, a a veto memo, basically, um, written, not spoken. I have concerns, quote, I have concerns that the unfettered ability to expunge serious felonies, including sexual battery from a juvenile's record, may have negative impacts on public safety. So that's just kind of the the nut graph of the article. And I I want to turn it it over to Maria and and, and ask. So for those of us who maybe aren't as familiar with this particular beat, is this change, this move to be able to expunge records, is it like in line with what's going on around the on around the nation or is that is it is it different or like is this something that kids are able to do when they hit 18 and maybe finish programs like what is the state of affairs in in this realm right now in certain states they're allowed so in certain states um and and i know pennsylvania the most obviously because i work here but in certain states they are allowed to expunge the records they are allowed to look at um you know certain felonies um but it's it's very a lot of it is the misdemeanor piece Hmm. um a lot of it is these misdemeanors and getting that off the record now there are like different diversion programs like i know in in pennsylvania we have something called a consent decree Hmm. so like if a kid commits a crime that's like that either like because that's the thing they'll throw all of these like charges on you right so they'll throw like three felonies and then they get end up getting dropped a lot of them get dropped to misdemeanors or whatever like during court but anyways so we have a thing called a consent decree that if a kid is is considered adjudicated of a defense which is guilty of an offense they can do what's um it's basically just this list of rules so you have to follow probation requirements you have to get drug and alcohol treatment you have to get mental health whatever whatever if you finish this consent decree you're done. You don't have a record like it's expunged. Right. Um, but the majority of the kids that I've worked with have felonies because I did what um, 
I I did uh, trying to think of the word that Florida uses, but what we use in in Pittsburgh is is called an Act Thirty Three, and basically it's just a transition hearing. So we're trying to get the kid back to juvenile court. Okay. Um, because they're being they're being considered as an adult in that moment. Yes, because it in Pennsylvania, if you are ten or over and you commit a homicide, you are it's in an automatic file, wow. automatic adult court. If you're 14 or over and you commit um, any like violent felony, so attempted homicide, um, rape, robbery, you're over 14, you're automatically it's an adult court. Um, wow. Um, what when we talk about those diversionary programs, I think about when I was a kid and I was growing up in New York and, um, you know, listeners of the show know about the way I grew up and like. There were a lot of kids, needless to say, who, who were pretty poor, who I knew, who got in trouble with the law. And there was this prevailing, and again, this was like in the 90s, so this might be different now. But there was this prevailing attitude amongst like the old heads. In a lot of cases, they would say, rather than doing the diversionary programs, they would say, just go take the months. Because that diversionary program gets its hooks in you and keeps its hooks in you all the way through adulthood. And then you're like in the system. Is that still the case? I mean, like, does that... Is that does that still stand up? I, I guess I think of these diversionary programs a lot of times as like, as as um sort of never ending, like drug court. Drug court sometimes follows people years and years longer than than they would have been followed by the system. You know, if they would have just taken their their uh their, their years or their months or whatever. So it's a mixed bag. So like in juvenile court, it's definitely better to go through a diversion program than it is to become an adjudicated because once you become adjudicated you're under the court and they have you and that's where they stick you because that's where they stick you with restitution now and i'm not going to say that in diversion programs that you don't have to pay restitution because some diversion programs you do Mm -hmm. but it's better for um in in juvenile court for them to do a diversion program because what it is is it keeps a lot of those charges off their record so it doesn't affect them over you know when they become an adult um because what you want is you want that record closed you want it expunged you don't want anybody to be able to bring it up um so the diversion program when it comes to to juvenile is much more it's it's the better choice than just taking the months now in juvenile you really don't get months right like especially like in in Pennsylvania, we do the like if we send a kid to a residential, we do a review every three months or every six months, mm-hmm. um, because you can't just say okay, here's two years and you do this two years and then you finish the program and then you're done. You you've been rehabilitated, all of that. Like the purpose of diversion is to actually fix the problem, oh. right? So if it's school shit, you're supposed to put you know, these resources in the school system. If it's mental health, you're supposed to get that kid mental health. Um, so it's trying to avoid this incarceration in the system. So did you find that when you were working with a lot of these kids, because I, I try to think of this from the perspective of like, this is a class question, right? Because if you're a parent who, if you're both, if you have both parents, they're both in the picture, they're both, I don't know, gainfully employed or they have resources or whatever. It's, I would imagine the success rate of those diversionary programs and eventually uh, expunction or expungement or whatever is probably much higher than a lot of the kids that you probably had to deal with who didn't have parents in the picture or maybe were like just just were on a, on the different end of the class scale and it, it just feels like there's a, a class element to this and um, and when you hear 
Republicans or Democrats in places that are like swing states, like like um, Florida and Pennsylvania, where like they have constituencies that they're trying. Like DeSantis, he has a constituency he's trying to appeal to by being tough, right? That doesn't make it into the equation that like he's talking about kids who like either don't have parents or they don't have parents in the picture or something like that. I mean, did you see that play out from your perspective? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, look, he, what he's talking about is he's talking about kids that have been traumatized from day one. Uh, th- these kids have experienced things that are unbelievable to, to some adults. That adults will never experience. Yeah. You know, we're talking about kids that have grown up in violence, that have grown up, um, you know, seeing mom physically abused or, or seeing dad, you know, having to go out in the street. You know what I mean? To, to make money, to feed his family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're seeing kids with sexual abuse. You're seeing kids that have just been through these multiple traumas. Then you're seeing kids that have been, that the system has traumatized them, right? right? So you, you get them in the system because you think you're helping, but it's just this never ending battle. It's like a mountain of systems. Mm-hmm. It's a snowball effect. So if you can't get the appropriate resources in child welfare, it goes, it slides down the juvenile court. And if you can't get those appropriate resources, it goes right down to jail. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're seeing a lot of these kids have lived lives that you couldn't even imagine. Um, you know, I tried to, to as somebody who's worked in this field, I've specialized with kids for 11 years now. Um, and I've worked clinically with my master's for six. Um, and some of the stories that I've heard are just, unbelievable like i can't tell them to people yeah because they are that horrific just beyond the realm of being able to yeah it's it's yeah horrible stuff horrible things i mean that's why like um, i tell people why do you think i smoke weed all the time <laughs> like why do you think that i have to find these other ways to cope because these kids have lived these just horrific lives um i i, I want to like speak to one of the things that DeSantis said uh, where I'm going to reread the quote that he says concerns about saying that he has concerns about the unfettered ability to expunge serious felonies, including sexual battery from a juvenile's record that may have negative impacts on public safety. So there's two things I want to break apart there. Number one, he, uh, he does a, he does a really deft communications thing there where he introduces apropos of nothing introduces the concept of sexual battery to scare people to be like, that's the scariest type of shit. scary scary teenage rapist right scary hulking teenage rapist breaking into your room i would i can't imagine what the actual percentage of the cases that we're talking about are that involve sexual battery but i have to imagine it's probably minuscule and it would probably be easy to set those aside and say like okay well let's consider these separately i mean it it it, it seems we do in pa right yeah exactly and i'm sure that we could do and would have the uh resources to do here in florida uh but the other thing that he says is um, may have negative impacts on public safety. This is a piece of legislation that like had bipartisan broad support and got all the way to his desk and he's not signing it because of something that may happen. And I'm wondering, is there any evidence out there that that expunging records leads to some uptick in crime from kids when they become adults or something like that? There's not. Um, there, there's not. If there's any new research that, t- that says wrong, then feel free to... <laughs> tell me that I'm wrong and I will, you know, take my statement back. But what he's talking about with the sexual battery. Now, I wouldn't say that those cases are minuscule because there are cases mm-hmm. there. There's multiple, um, you know, 
sexual assault cases, but all sexual assault cases aren't the same, right? right? Like I've worked with kids who have been charged for taking a picture naked and been charged with child pornography, or I've worked with kids that have been in foster care and they've molested each other. Um, But then I've worked with kids who have raped. Um, And is it, but it, but juveniles can be rehabilitated. Juveniles who sexually offend can be rehabilitated. Um, There's, I think the latest recidivism rate for somebody with like a sexual assault case is like 14%, which is extremely low. Mm. Um, And also the state of PA, we do have a law called Act 21 that if a kid is in, um, who has been adjudicated of a rape or a sexual, any sexual assault case, um, if they are considered still a threat at the age of 20, then the sexual assessment, uh, the sexual offender assessment board can come in at that time, evaluate that kid and see does that kid have a what's a brain abnormality that makes him that dangerous mm-hmm. um, it is rare but we do have a program in pa there's only four people in it right now um, but we have a program for kids like that so if there is a kid like that like what i, I understand what the santa's is saying mm-hmm. right but that is a rare case and you are taking away um the ability for people like so many other kids to move on right with one broad swoop of your of your veto pen, you've lumped right. everything together in a very and I, again like a lot of the stuff that they do out here in Florida. They, I mean, like specifically the, the Florida GOP, it's it's not an accident. It's not carelessness. It's not like oh, DeSantis just doesn't or the, they just don't know that this is the case. It's I, I feel like it's intentional and it feels it's like a, a picture. Right. It's perpetuating a specific. I look. We've talked before, Dave, about how like capitalism requires a lot of people to be stepped on, like for it to mm. quote unquote work, which by definition, it, it's not working. But for it to work, there's got to be a class of people who are just like, well, don't worry about them. Those people are subhuman. They don't count. And I think that one of the easiest ways to create or perpetuate that class is by just putting a an administrative tag on somebody before they turn 18 that says, with this F on your on on your back or on your shirt, you're never going to be able to get 80% of jobs. 80% of jobs won't exist for you. And and now, okay, we already know it was preordained already that you were going to be a serf, you were going to be a servant, you were going to be part of that class. And now, guess what? It's either that or you know, institutional an institutional life. And that's what I think is. The, it's not like some original thought. It is the most pernicious thing is that these kids are tagged, right? And a lot of times mm-hmm. if they aren't able to get expunged like this, it's it's talking about like job opportunities. It's talking about like the ability to move, the ability to, to partake in institutions if they are fucking crazy enough to want to be in the military. Like then they can, you know, a lot of times there are military options that are, um, you know, close to them or they have to join mm-hmm. at like a, a lower like ES rating and things like that. Like, this stuff redounds in a lot of different ways, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it sticks with them. And, and that's the thing is that people do have to recognize that children are not adults. Our brain does not, the human brain does not fully develop until the age of 25, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of these kids have been affected by trauma and a lot of this bullshit and i'm when i talk about trauma i'm not just talking about sexual abuse physical abuse i'm talking about environmental trauma climate change um just how 
economics is set up, capitalism, like that is trauma to all of these kids. So if they've experienced, you're experiencing this while your brain is developing, it is going to do something to you, right? One, but we're not considering them to change. Like we're not looking at them as kids. Like we're looking at them as, well, they did this as a kid. They're going to do it as an adult. And you're already giving them a label. So you're not giving them any reason to want to be rehabilitated. You know, they don't even understand it when they're being put in these placements. Yeah. Right. Like they don't have the understanding there. Your ability to weigh risk and consequences come from your frontal lobe and your frontal lobe is the last thing to develop in Mm. your brain. So you're talking about being able to weigh the the ability of risk and the, you know, risk and consequences, not until you're like 23, 24 years old. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these kids. And, and I understand there are some kids that have done some heinous things. I've worked with some, you know, I, I for for one at one point I had like four pizza delivery robberies that I was doing like um, transfer hearings so on. Raphael, like, Donatello, Leonardo. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah. All four, all four of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> but but like that is like dumb things that kids do. And I'm not saying that it's cool. It's not. It's It's heinous. They can't. They shouldn't be doing this shit right yeah but like the system sets them up to do this it sets them up to do this you guys just had a very interesting case which i'm going to be um doing a lot more research on is the there was a 14 year old and a 12 year old right ran from i was going to bring this up yeah go ahead it sounds like you read read about it already yeah Right. So they ran from a group home and they um, I guess there was a there was a large group of them that ran. And these two, I guess, were the last ones that stayed. They got into a house. From what I understand, there were AK-47s just laying around in this Florida. I mean, to be fair. And they get into like this standoff with police for three hours, Mm -hmm. three hours. And then they started, I guess, the. The girl picked up the AK and started shooting. Well, they ended up, they shot her. She survived. She's being charged as an adult. She's been in foster care since she was 10 years old. Right. Yeah. And you have to wonder like what the, like we had said before, that compounded effect of all of this trauma within this, like, you know, this, this living in the system and having all of these consequences. A lot of times you probably, they probably don't even understand like why these sentences are being meted out. Like what's the, point from their perspective they don't they don't know this is the only life that they've lived it's the only life that they've lived and they're living in a trauma response like so they're in mm-hmm. a stress response at all times so like that fight flight or freeze mm-hmm. we all have that they're in a constant state of stress they don't know what to expect you know what i mean and then there's kids that have not learned like they haven't had the proper um attachment to a caregiver so they've had to learn how to survive from a very young age. Like I have kids that like they weren't fed as is like two year olds or whatever. Like they were left. Like I had one kid that was literally like left for three days, neglected, not given food, cry like wasn't found until a neighbor heard the baby cry, right? And they live in a house that have they have food. They can get food anytime they want. But they will hoard food and they hide it in their room and you can ask the kid why they do that and they don't know yeah their brain has taught them to adapt i have to survive so i need this food this could happen at any time in the future right now yeah sure there's food so i better save it 
because I don't yeah. know what will happen in the future. Yeah, I um, mean, it's the the human brain and what things, what trauma will do to it is it just, yeah. it, it, it's real, it's extremely interesting, but it's sad. Um, and, you know, DeSantis, I think, is making, I definitely think he's making the wrong move on this. Um, especially because it has bipartisan support, right? And how often do you see that? Like it's it, it it with with these kind of things, it's it's these are kids who it seems like their whole life they they hardly ever have anybody looking out for them, and then to have this rare moment of bipartisanship and just have it squandered. How does how does activism work in this in this realm? Like because it this seems like one where there aren't enough advocates. There's people doing the kind of work that you do. But then, like, at the end of the day, it's like, fuck, man, let me, like, unwind. This is crazy. You can't go out into the streets and also try to affect the kind of changes that need to be done on, on behalf of these kids. I'm asking that with, like, the angle of, like, what a successful juvenile justice system looks like, whether it's something like what you have in Pennsylvania, how you would change that. Like, what 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 should activists be asking for in this um, in this dimension of, of, uh, of justice? I think that, you know, one with, with juvenile justice and the activism that goes behind it, it is hard because, again, it's such a small group of people, right? Um, there's not enough people because we don't really talk about it. Like, we don't talk about it until there's something that crazy that happens, right? Yeah. We, you know, Cornelius Frederick was killed at, um, you know, Sequel Youth Services up in Michigan. And people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe kids are being killed in restraints. Kids have been killed in restraints for years. We just don't talk about it, right? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I think is, like, figuring out, like, like lifting voices that are talking about this stuff. So, like, and I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about, like, people that have been through this, who have been survivors of these programs, of this, of the system, and listen to them and listen to what they need. Um, you know, yeah, I could tell you as a clinician and as a quote unquote, you know, expert, um, what to do, what a, what a just juvenile system would look like to me. But first things first, you got to talk to the survivors and you got to talk to these kids and figure out what they need. Um, you know, it's hard to do activism in this because you are so tired after a, a day, you know, yeah. like. And that's why, like, you'll see me a lot of times, like, I'll go on Twitter and just cut up for, like, an hour and then go into a session and it'll be, like, one of the most fucking depressing sessions ever. And I have to, like, switch. Yeah. Because if I don't do that, like, if I don't, like, switch and, like, do that, like, little fucking around part. Yeah. I'm going to stay and I'll be in bed all day because it's literally, like, two, three hours. It's a coping tool. Up. Shit. I mean, you got to use a, it yeah, for what it is. Yeah, it's a coping is. mechanism. That's why I don't understand people going there and fight. I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> I'm going on there and cutting up. Um, <laughs> but, like, for me, it would be a just system would be, one, keeping these kids in their home at all costs. You have to find a way to keep these kids in a home environment. Mm -hmm. There are kids that can't be in a home environment. I get that. If we're going to have these facilities, they need to be federally regulated. Um, they should not be locked. Um, now, I know that that's going to be very difficult to get around because, again, a lot of these kids run. You have to understand they're in a trauma response. Right. So they're going to do these wild behaviors that you're like, what the fuck? Like, like so like when there's riots and stuff, like when I find when I see like uh, news stories about riots and things like that in the juvenile justice system it doesn't shock me 
kids are going to do, you know what I mean? Like kids are going to do things like that. They're trying to survive. Um, but, and I definitely think that we should not be charging children as adults. Um, even in, I think if in cases of homicide or rape, I think that there needs to be, you need to, I think that the state needs to be able to prove that the burden should be on the state to prove that that kid cannot be rehabilitated. Mm -hmm. It should not be on that kid. And that's what happens, like, especially like in PA. So they start out in, in adult court. I think in Florida, they start out in juvenile, then they move to adult court, then it's on the burden of the to prove defense to, p- to argue. Yeah. Right. I th- believe that's how it goes. Because you guys have had like crazy. I mean, you guys had the Christian Fernandez case. Yeah. Like they slammed him. He was 12 years old. Right. And they slammed him. Now he's being re- like he's being reset. He was resentenced. So he's going to be getting out soon. Hmm. Um. But, yeah, I remember that case. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, that but I think that we really need to, we need to get away from this punishment, and we need to just continue rehabilitation, rehabilitation, rehabilitation. Punishment does not work with these kids. They don't give a fuck. These kids do not give. Like I always say, survival will trump legality. They will do what they need to do to survive, and you have to understand that. Um, and I don't think we understand it. Yeah, I mean, that's such a missed opportunity, too, for, like, we still, in most of these states, we still call our, these departments, we call them corrections, to correct behavior, to rehabilitate, to make it better. And it's so hard to do that. Like, I mean, maybe it's not that hard, but we, as a a country, as a culture, we kind of suck at it. We're not great at rehabilitating people. But here's this opportunity, right, where, like you say, you speak to it, the, the... the, the statistics show that recidivism can be lowered at, under under this age. Like kids can be receptive to to correction. You can save actually save lives, and it's a huge opportunity. And shit like yeah. this wastes those kind of opportunities. Yeah, I mean, and it it tried. It, I'm trying to figure out like my next steps when it comes to juvenile justice and you know mental health and everything because like my oh I was gonna go for my PhD, um and then like my whole life changed you know my mom passed but now I it's like you know because I was such a big Bernie bro and all that stuff and you know after the the after everything happened with that and it's like I'm trying to find a way now to merge those two worlds together because I've always been very um vocal about you know injustices in the system you know I did um like I don't know if you call it like guerrilla action or whatever when Centoya Brown was in jail and yeah. we were trying to get her clemency you know we were trying to get her out like we wrote letters we called people i would like to do more of that you know um because yeah i mean i'm t- i mean i'm tired <laughs> but at the end of the day like it's like i know i'm in this for life yeah. you know like these kids really are i love them like there's something that keeps me in juvenile justice um and keeps me to work with kids that just don't have families or in foster care or whatever kids in the system it's like i something keeps me going i don't know what it is but well whatever it is at the end of the day when you get home shed the the stress of work and try to get rid of those memories and everything like that there's a culture and there's an aesthetic that I think we all want to sort of build and create and curate for ourselves, which brings us to topic number two um, that we had lined up, Bistro Vibes. 
Have any Bistro of you vibes. have any have either had either of you ever heard of the Bistro Vibes before I dropped the link in that out, in the outline of the show? No. No, sir. <laughs> so, I did see it in the outline of the show and I like just glanced at it. I was like, what the fuck what is the, Bistro Vibes? So, is it, all right. This comes from this GQ. Something... This is an article from oh. GQ. I didn't know that there was okay. a name for this, but I knew that it was there. And I okay. I have feelings on it. This is the kind of shit that Dave and I talk about, and I have you know, having listened to you a lot. This is is kind of in your wheelhouse as well. This, this is, is up the worst week yet. It's real wheelhouse. This okay. is a this is a fashion story. This is fashion. We're talking about culture okay. and fashion. Um, all right. This is from GQ, and this is from GQ's uh, intrepid reporter Jason Diamond. The headline is "Introducing Bistro Vibes: The Throwback Lifestyle for the Happily Washed," and it's got a picture of, I guess, is that like Tim Roth, Alec Baldwin, and Steve Martin? I think in the in the and Wolfgang Puck pizza and um, a saxophone. Once you notice it, you start seeing it everywhere. It's a 1989 BMW 325i buzzing down your street with the top down, piloted by a guy wearing a vintage Armani suit like Richard Gere would have worn in 1991, blasting a Thundercat song that sounds like it's from 1986. It's the billboard promoting John Mayer's new album, which I know, Dave, you have like some strong feelings about. Oh, you're, you're, you're eagerly looking you forward big, to. He's big a Mayer big, fan? Sure. He's a big John Mayer guy. John Mayer, Jason Isbell. What's the other one? The guy that got canceled Ryan and then Adams. uncanceled? Yeah, Ryan, Ryan Adams. Adams. Yeah, Ryan Adams. Yeah. Oh, Ryan Adams. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's uh, stuff. It's the return of Seltzer with some line. Not purely for sobriety, but not not either. It's the rise of the air fetishizing streetwear brand Amy Leon Leon Leon. I'll never say this right. Leon Dor. It's the resurgent look and feel of movies like Pretty Woman and L.A. Story. It's Chris Paul shouting out Billy Crystal during the NBA playoffs. So this is like a a vibe that I've been waiting for, Dave, and that we haven't seen since, I would say, like freshman year UNLV, maybe sophomore year at UNLV. Does does any of this resonate with you at all? I mean, like this, they're all wearing the same jacket that you that you still wear, the like the flat leather jacket. Like what? It's actually ever since COVID, it's like sitting on the back floor of my car, just gathering dirt. Because I mean, I'm never going anywhere ever again. So, um, I'm looking but, at Maria's face. I think she's looking at wait, a lot of the art- articles right now. She's like, "What I'm is this shit?" It. Yeah, I'm like, "Wait, is this happening? Like, where am I? Like, I, I, I guess I just, who are these people? Who the fuck are these? People? <laughs> I just like the three people that like. It's just like, could you imagine like Steve Martin, Alec Baldwin, and Tim Roth? Well, I guess they would all hang out. I could see them hanging out, maybe. Yeah, Steve Martin, but, maybe not, but yeah, 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 for sure. It says your parents' cheesy signifiers. I don't know. My parents didn't. My dad didn't like. I don't know. But yeah, they actually get get into that a little bit more. I guess they're assuming that all the readers are going to be like under 25 maybe, but this is GQ. Like who the fuck is reading GQ under 25? Um, yeah. yeah. Of course, part of the reason that you, this comes from the article as well, after they get into uh, what, what there's, they're making a case that a lot of this stuff, these like, you know, the dark blazers, the black grays and whites of the nineties, that like washed look of being sort of like half business, but in a really like, like, if you could be like business dressed, but even more boring somehow, and and just so that you look like you could get hit with like a fire hose, and it wouldn't really mess you up that bad because you didn't look that good to begin with. Um, so what they're trying to say is that all this stuff is, uh, and again, if you want to see the article, go check it out. If you're if you're in GQ, oh, I'm reading it. Demo GQ yeah. dot <laughs> the, the under twenty five demo. It up. Um, but like what they're saying is that these things are all like signifiers 
from a time that was better than what we have now. So what it's saying is it's not it's not the same as nostalgia. I find it interesting because well, let me read the, a little bit of the article. Of course, part of the reason that you can afford your 80s Beamer is that you're renting your cramped two-bedroom apartment. The prospect of homeownership, a far-off dream. Bistro vibes are the attainable runoff of a lifestyle pioneered by the baby boomers that's simply not quite as attainable for geriatric millennials. Uh, that doesn't mean it's... Ba- yeah, I know, right? Like, fuck. Coming right for the... Balls. I hate that term too. I'm like, <laughs> I am a fucking zennial, okay? Like, because I am very, like, I love that micro generation because I think it explains us just, I was born in 83. Yeah. So, like, the, that Oregon Trail, that micro generation is a perfect explanation of, like, me. You yeah. know what I mean? Because I was like, a, a, you know, kids was like, that was my whole, yeah. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of those little, like, like, they're tiny questions, but like, the one that I think of is always like, did you have a driver's license before a cell phone? And it's like, yeah, if you had your driver's license, if there was a time when you were driving, but you didn't have a cell phone, then yeah, that's you. You're in that, you're in that wheelhouse. And I think that all three of us on this call are actually. Yeah. MapQuest. Remember yeah. when MapQuest came out? We're like, yes. I remember printing like, MapQuest for years. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. there was no other way to fucking do it. Driving um, up to Baltimore to some fucking rave. But Dave, like that's what that's what this is though. This is like the shit that's like they talk about Spago being like a, a cornerstone for this culture. Where it's Spago. I remember like that was like the big like I remember in like the early nineties. Yes, like, when I was, exactly. Like, a kid, hearing the word Spago and being like, Oh, that's some classy restaurant in New York City. Yeah, no, I remember walking it when I moved to Las Vegas when I was um nineteen and Dave and I met. I remember walking through the first of all thinking that the caesar's palace forum shops were like the height of class and like oh yeah, yeah. be like this is the fanciest place i've ever been i mean i'm from new york but like it's still i thought if it I was could be half fancy. this cool and then there was in the middle courtyard of this of this like gaudy monstrosity with like fake uh painted on ceilings and shitty frescoes and stuff like that in the in the in the middle of it there's a big open air spago and it's just like I know the guys that were sitting there, and there was a really famous scene. Are, Maria, are you a big fan of um, uh, what was the fucking uh, the movie striptease? Are you a big fan of the movie striptease with uh? I've seen it. Yeah, so there's a very famous scene where the main characters, uh, Gina Gershon, and then the the girl from whatever Saved by the Bell. Oh yeah, oh yeah, not not striptease. Uh, wait. Which what is it, I'm, Dave? Is it striptease? Uh, showgirls. 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 Yeah, because oh, yeah, yeah. striptease. I was like, shows that's what Demi I know. Moore. That shows right. what I know. Showgirls. Absolutely. Fucking love. Uh, okay. Versace. Yes. Versace. The Versace oh, scene. Yeah. That's that was yes. in the Spago yes. in the forum shop in the forum okay. shops that I'm talking about sitting right there in this like and man, let me tell you something. If you were if it was 1999 and you were like uh, an 18 year old girl and you were going on a date with me, you were going to Spago. Because oh, yeah. that's where I was, and I was spending my whole check there because, <laughs> you know, I was fucking poor. But yeah, it was that was like in my mind the height of um of that aesthetic, wearing a black blazer with like a t shirt under it. You know, I feel like it's dead, Dave, and what's left over is just like a ghost. Yeah, it's yeah it's weird. The weirdest thing to come back around. I mean, obviously everything comes back around, but for right. that to be the thing, just it just seems like, so why? strange. Yeah. Yeah, like, now it's, I like a lot of the, like, there's a lot of, like, 90s stuff that is coming back around that I just get very giddy for because it's very, like, nostalgic to me, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh my god, I used to wear this when I was in junior <laughs> high and stuff. But the Spago stuff, yeah, like, it was not in my class. 
it was yeah it was a different uh, a different strata you know like you but yeah. you would see it you would see it like the rich like the like when they would have like a guest star on friends who was like rich he would show up like dressed like that <laughs> yes like yes yes yeah yeah like that it was like the typical like rich like oh yeah you know i'm I'm rich, but I have a sport. I have I have a sports car, but like I'm cool, you know. I'm yeah. chill. I'm not like yeah, like the laid back rich guy. Yeah, I'm just the, like Richard Gere, just get, for the first time ever getting a prostitute. We're like, talking about he's... yuppie being a positive word, right? Yeah, basically. like like oh yeah, extracting the the po- whatever positive there is out of the the yuppie, just pure purely purely the aesthetic, not any of the actual depth or anything. And they definitely tried to date like one of like the supermodels. Yeah. You know, during that heyday because yeah, Linda Evangelista. Oh god, what a name. Um yeah. or, you know, cuz yeah, pre-Kate Moss, like the Spago guys, yeah. Yeah. They'd be pre-Kate Moss, so they'd be like Cindy Crawford and I, for some I reason know entirely too much about like just Yeah. The, the esoteric like stuff of the esoteric yeah, yeah, models of like, that era. Um, oh, yeah. The, fa- the fashion end of this is never going to be me, but I am so ready for the music to come back. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about some of this stuff. What is the music oh, that yeah. you associate with this, Dave? Well, I mean, they, they brought up that, Bush, that John Bush. Mayer thing. I, I, I feel like a lot of, like, John Mayer is obviously someone we could all laugh about, but the the kind of music, though, that that he's, you know, kind of known for, the, like, noodly guitar stuff and, and things like that, I, I'm ready for guitars, man, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, you know a lot of what I listen to. I, I seek out new music, and it's all stuff like that, you know, over, over the past few years, for sure. All, like, guitar, like, stripped-down stuff. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah the 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 the, yeah. the literally the greatest hip hop producer I've ever met in my life, and all he does after age thirty is listen to guitar music. Like it's <laughs> it's crazy what happened to you, man. You're like it's it's wild. <laughs> well, honestly, that's how I got into Pet Sounds. Like the the album Pet Sounds, Brian, sure. uh, the Beach Boys. Like everybody gets surprised. I mean, not now if you follow me on Twitter because I've talked about Brian Wilson like so many fucking times. But um, <laughs> everyone gets really surprised. Cause they're like, I thought you were into hip hop. Like pet sounds is one of your favorite albums. I'm like the production on pet sounds literally changed. You know what I yeah, mean? The wall like, of sound, yeah. the whole. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the thing that people from the outside looking in don't seem to get is how much production matters. And, oh, absolutely. you know, some people you can, just don't see that. It's a, he like Brian Wilson made it an instrument. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they, like him and inspector made that made yeah. the the production an instrument and then they both just disappeared and we never heard from either of them again no controversies <laughs> or anything no controversy <laughs> at all just right? a hey, great brian's way. doing brian's doing brian's good, doing good yeah brian's doing really yeah good. brian's doing good that's my boy man so let me finish on this one last one this one last little article that i didn't share that i didn't share with you guys uh because i i got it late and i uh, didn't have time to drop it into the into the outline but i think it stands oh. it stands on on its own two feet and i'm just going to read a little bit from it um and try i'll try to share the the picture before you do i was just scrolling through that article you sent us and the, the billy crystal picture i mean that's me when we were 26 it is yeah 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 26 10 years too late to be dressing that way by the way yes, yeah absolutely. <laughs> oh hell yeah i want to i want to redo right now i want to redo did life. you even wear the belt and everything oh yeah, yeah. oh nice dave was th- there was a decision being made by the way there was a decision sometime around that era being made 
in a, a office somewhere where they were like, we got to keep the braided belts in stock. Somebody's out there buying them for like a little, oh like a little bit longer. And they were, and it was for Dave. He, they were, they were keeping <laughs> oh, yeah. the braided belts in production for him. That I just scrolled that article too, and I just saw they brought up one of the greatest songs ever, "King of Wishful Thinking" by Go West. Oh, yeah, that's Hell yeah. Damn, yes. actually, I've, that's a song Dude. that I haven't thought about in a long time, but it's always on my banger. mind. <laughs> absolute Definite. banger and that Definite. is true that is true that is bistro vibe so now anytime that song comes on my spotify i'm gonna automatically think of you guys and i'm gonna be like bistro vibes hell yeah <laughs> all right so this comes from the intercept nathan bernard um who i think a, a lot of us know a nation conceived in liberty confronts its queasiness with the quote-unquote milf mobile a new law banning vulgar vanity plates sets the stage for a free speech showdown in the pine tree state um dave what's the pine tree pine tree state come on you gotta know this stuff the pine tree state i have no idea what is the pine tree state you don't know it's maine it's maine, maine? Brit- okay. Brittany glidden drives maine's most beloved vehicle it's a 2013 teal chrysler town and country minivan an enormous custom-made milf mobile logo is plastered on its rear window uh, rear windshield uh quote Everyone loves my van, except for the Karens, Glidden said, referring to a pejorative term for entitled white women. Karens hate it. Glidden's ride also sports kids in this bitch. Honk if one falls out. And, quote, if you're going to ride my ass, at least pull my hair. And, quote, condoms prevent minivans. Stickers. Uh, Her vanity plate says tits out with no space. Those oh, nice. So the plate and quote the plate references the fact that I uh, that I exclusively breastfed all four of my children. Glidden said, and that I frequently drive topless. Maine is in fact a topless state. The Milfmobile's local frame hasn't come without opposition. Each viral post on Maine Facebook features uh, featuring the mid two thousands whip is swarmed with replies demanding that Glidden grow up and rethink her van's controversial design. And unfortunately, state lawmakers have been listening to the internet haters because on January 19th, a new bill aimed at banning vulgar and obscene vanity plates was introduced by state Senator William Diamond uh, of Wyndham. He pre- uh, a Democrat from Wyndham, by the way. He previously served as Maine's Secretary of State during the uh, vanity plate program's creation in 1989. The program's fa- uh, founding purpose was to create fun and creative tourist attractions that make money for the state. So they go on to talk about that a little bit. It's it's still up in the air whether or not you know she's going to have to basically have all of her 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 signs taken down. And um, yeah, I just thought that this would be a, a good. I don't have the mill like. Yeah, right? Like, why? What are you doing? Let people be happy. You remember what was on the back of my Accord back in our 20s? Um, It was from Pootie Tang, right? It no, was... no, that's my license plate, which I still have, actually. My license plate is Klepa. Klepa but, from um, Pootie Tang, yeah. Yeah, the, the, ba- the back <laughs> of my Absolute gibberish. Though. Look at, <laughs> by the way, I wish I had a screenshot of Maria's face right now when we were <laughs> yeah. saying that, because that's what so many people behind you over the years probably had on their face. They're like, what the fuck are you people talking about? <laughs> what the hell is that? But no, I, my, my car said the sickest fucking car in Vegas. Oh, yeah, that's the, right. I that's remember. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was a and Nissan Altima. It, it was, oh, yeah, it was, yeah, a, yeah. It was wait, was, what, it, was a, it the Altima or the Accord? I forget. Yeah. But, it was a very yeah. basic car with no special. Yeah, very basic. Just opening all types of um, lines of conversation with people that you don't want to have lines of <laughs> conversation with. I should have got a vanity plate. I was at the county fair last night. Um, and uh, I should have got a vanity plate there, man. Uh, I, I, should I get Dill Hunter? Or d- yeah, or d- dude, yeah. Dill Hunter. Well, I asked. I asked somebody the other day. I was like, well, 
I don't have kids, but uh-huh. am I still considered like a milf? They're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, Sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's cool. a, it's a generational thing. It's like you sure. know, I would love I've to hit that. It, I'm thinking up like a new version of Pornhub where like the all the milf category they have to show proof like I'm that they're actually moms beforehand to at the beginning of the video like this is my yeah, son that Gregory they were born between yeah. 1983 to holding up a newspaper 1990 or something. <laughs> um, okay, so that's 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 one, Dave. I think that's one. Uh, Maria, where can people um, get at you so to learn a bit more in, in case they weren't listening at the beginning when I told them your Twitter handle? Oh, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Sandranista412. I have not decided if I was going to switch the Twitter handle or not because everyone's like, oh, are you still Bernie, bro? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I have a fucking tattoo like of his outline like on my shoulder, of course. Like, But it's just, you know, whatever. Yeah, Sandranista412. Um, I try to talk a lot about juvenile justice stuff. I talk a lot about music though. Music's kind of like my, um, go to like my, yeah, kinda, it's like, a good follow for music. Stuff. It's a really, yeah. Uh, Sandra Nisa is a really you. great follow for suggestions and that weird liminal space that we have now where we, how we like discover new music, which is very weird. Like we don't go anywhere. It's these random sources that tell you try listening to this and then you're like oh yeah i like that that's good yeah otherwise you don't grow at all otherwise you don't hear anything new at all you know right and then yeah and then i have a podcast it's called worst we get um you can follow us on twitter we're on all podcasting platforms um we also have a patreon that we just started so um yeah you can check us out uh like i said we are the least informed podcast on the left we are three yins are idiots but we try to make everybody laugh we are good at the art of tromedy. That's what we call it. <laughs> you, you guys are good at it too. Yes. The art of tromedy. Well, thank Same you for John right here. Thank you for coming on and uh <laughs> thank and, you for having in, me. inducing tromedy on all of us and and accepting mm-hmm. ours in return. Absolutely.